0: features and amblin entertainment presents.
1: i knew it this is an alien and you guys are from some government agency trying to keep it under wraps
2: (laughs) no tommy Lee jones i'm gonna count to three he'll do it Jeeves. one i'm telling you that man does not look stable two he's always crazy why don't you get a massage or take a cream do you have any idea how much that stings Will Smith. What the hell are you? Your world's going to end. In a new film from the director of the Adams Family and Get Shorty. Men in Black. Protecting the Earth from the scum of the universe. You know how to use these
0: things? No idea whatsoever.
3: This ist film oh, song. So once again, guys, I'm Sierra Gonzalez. I'm here with Patrick Kelly. And today we have a very special guest, Juan Rubo Caldwell. Hey, Juan. Hey, I'm
4: the special guest, I guess. Hey, Juan.
3: (laughs) So this is a very special episode because this is the week of Patrick's birthday. And we just got back from stuffing our faces with Korean barbecue. A ridiculous amount of meat. And so Juan holds a very special place in this friendship between the three of us because he introduced us. And it was through a movie, I think. I was living in Long Beach in an apartment when we watched...
1: Yeah. Alien. We were watching Alien. Yeah. Yeah. He passed out of my couch and we've been connected ever since. And we thought of Juan for this movie because he's always dropping men in black quotes for some reason. It's it's strange how much he
3: loves this movie. (laughs) Almost as much as he loves Mulan. And I hope we get to that one as well. (laughs) Um, tell Tell us about yourself, Juan. Let us know. Tell the people about you. Hi,
4: everybody. Uh, I'm Juan Roelcaba. I am friends with Patrick and C.R. Gonzalez. And, um, yeah, it's true that I am always dropping quotes from this very, like, silly action blockbuster movie uh with like lots of special effects and aliens and stuff like that because i always find the most profound quotes in this movie mm-hmm. with like the most profound meanings and i'll just be like counseling somebody through a breakup or trying to like put some context to like the heaviness of the world and i'll just like remember some like very clever line with like a deep meaning from this really dumb movie and uh, it's sort of like uh, your own kind of like philosophical handbook this movie right uh, uh, some of the hidden nuggets of wisdom that these characters kind of put out there for the audience. Yeah, um,
1: I didn't think I—I I don't think I properly appreciated this movie until Juan dropped a uh, <laughs> quote on me when I was uh, needing to hear something positive, and you know, I think he probably said something like. <laughs> It's worth it if you're strong enough or
3: something like that. You, you know? probably said, I got to get me one of these. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm,
1: sure, I'm
4: sure we'll listen to some of the choice lines from this movie uh, that do have... Uh, resonance beyond
3: the context in which they're filmed. Strangely enough, I think Juan might be the most qualified person here to talk about movies because he did get <laughs> yeah. his masters in screenwriting. So there is that. But also, um, I just really like movies, guys. Like <laughs> of you. I like movies.
4: I like TV shows. I like comic books.
3: But you do know your shit, and. Um, Tell a little us. more a little more studied in the in the subject. It actually tell us a little about your work, Juan, because I think like I know you don't want to make the connection, but um I'm gonna I'm gonna drop some shit about about what this movie's about a little later. And tell us what you do. Tell us a little bit about what you do.
4: Uh like
3: professionally, what do I do? Exactly.
4: Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, professionally, I work for a nonprofit organization that advocates for social justice issues. Um, we're talking about racial justice, economic justice, and trying to uh, empower those communities that tend to be the most marginalized, that tend to be the most muted Right, Mm -hmm. Uh, that um, making sure that they get a voice in uh, policy, making sure that they get a voice in decision making, Mm -hmm. uh, given that uh, these are the most affected communities by decision makers. Right, Uh, yeah. So uh, it's sort of what I do for uh, for a dollar. You know what I'm saying? In my pocket
3: yeah i mean I'm, I'm gonna go there later about this movie and about <laughs> marginalized folks and maybe some of the messaging in this movie and i know we weren't all thinking that but i got some shit to say about it um so one what do you like what are your first memories with men in black what was it doing for you what was happening as a kid so yeah i thought i would
4: go uh Third, not first. On this, you're the guest, so
3: you get the you get the honors.
4: Um, It was really cool that you started the show by playing the trailer and the song that accompanies the movie, um, because like that was my first impression, right? Yeah, the trailer. Uh, I remember seeing the poster for the first time and the kind of like romance and awe that it inspired it. I didn't know what Men in Black was. Right. Uh, I probably didn't even know who the actors were yeah. at this point, you know, but it had such a look it had such a feel. And I was excited and amped up and geeked up. Uh, and of course, uh, this is we might go into this later, but this is at a period of time where like Will Smith uh, owned July. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. He owned the month of July <laughs> for a while, whether it was Independence Day or this movie. For at least four years in a row. Wild Wild West, yeah. right? And so um, in July, around 4th of July, I would be visiting my family in uh, Imperial, California shout uh-huh. out to Imperial County, California Whoop. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, going to the little theater in Imperial which is still there mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we would go me and my brother and my younger cousins uh, we'd be taken by either my dad or my theos, right and it was like a tradition that we'd go to the movie theaters uh, as like a family uh, the boys anyway right and we'd watch these like boy sent movies like action adventure movies and uh, this is one of them and uh, it would resonate for with me for reasons I'm sure we'll get into mm-hmm. um, but uh, it's one of those moments of like just pure magic mm-hmm. right where like you're just like a belief has been suspended you believe in aliens and monsters and magic and mm-hmm. science fiction you believe on all of that as it's unfolding in front of your eyes right yeah. and you're totally transported because i must have been like i don't know around eight, eight years old how old were we around this time guys we we're around the same
1: age here uh yeah so 97 so we're nine nine, 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 nine. Yeah. yeah nine
4: years old so a very impressionable age right uh mm-hmm. where like you feel the magic uh without like unbridled right yeah
3: yeah And I think that speaks to, like, it's a testament to the immersiveness of this world and how they just kind of go full steam ahead on everything. like, the weapons don't, like, quite look like weapons that we know. You know, like, they have the claws and stuff Yeah, like that. yeah. they look like toys. Yeah. this yeah. Um, That's, like, a really high production value. They just yeah. go full on. And I don't know if you saw this in the behind-the-scenes thing, but the little alien in the dude's head, like, they built, like, a life-size version of that, mm. like, as big as a person, so they can get those close-ups and you get all the details. And I think it's the details that really sell this movie. Yeah. What about you, Patrick? Do you have any fond memories from my childhood with this movie? I
1: remember... Uh thinking this movie was kind of intense when i was a kid i'm you know when i watched it for this podcast it's uh-huh. obviously a comedy but i didn't i don't remember it as a comedy I, especially <laughs> edgar's character edgar yeah. freaked me out when i was a kid oh yeah <laughs> he's a scary dude yeah um yeah i didn't really think of it as a comedy when i first saw it uh, yeah lots of really funny moments mm-hmm. um i the the effect that you guys are talking about of pulling you into that world i, I think they it's uh Uh, It does that well, especially through um, Will Smith, you know, because he's he's not uh, he's pulled into this world the same way the viewer is, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of has his world blown apart and, and uh,
3: yeah I was thinking when I was watching uh, when they go to the headquarters and uh, that line about your skills mean dick yeah it reminds <laughs> me it reminds me when Harry Potter first uh, goes through the platform um, what is it
1: yeah when nine and it? three quarters nine and three yeah. quarters
3: like when he first goes through that wall and he's like introduced to this world or when he first sees like Diagon Alley mm-hmm. it reminded me of like very same moment where you're introduced into like this, this entirely different world um, and it's because this character's like freshly introduced you're right in in there with them and i think this is like a really good device for movies and this is why it's so immersive and i think that's the specifically effective when you're a child those moments and those scenes um i kind of had the same the same experience where i was like just totally into this this thing like blew my mind like um I just felt like the future was happening like it just yeah. felt like um, it got me excited I think culturally there was like a where we were in the midst of a of a space fascination like this year we had The Fifth Element we had Starship Troopers we had Event Horizon we had Alien Resurrection we had Gattaca and we had Contact which came out a week after Men in Black mm. um, and I think it's like interesting to different, differentiate differentiate <laughs> the tone of those movies from like a modern space movie there's like a really yeah campy element um
1: yeah a lot of those like um when you when you mentioned those i i thought of like galaxy quest like around that time too yeah and, exactly uh um what else there's some there's some other Campy space movies that came around at yeah. that time. Any uh, kind of Hitchhiker's Guide? Yeah. That was a little bit later. I think that was like 2005. Compared or something to like, like movies that. of
3: today, and the ones yeah. I'm thinking of are like uh, space movies like Interstellar, Gravity First Man. Like we take ourselves much more seriously now. Mm. And um, that probably says like something to the tone. Like we're not willing to, I don't know. I, I think yeah. we're feeling much less, maybe like <laughs> less optimistic about the future. Like I don't, I think it's hard to make a movie about like the space or about the future without feeling nervous about it
1: now. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering if like the, Space camp of the (laughs) 90s is like a response to, you know, like 2001 and um, Mm -hmm. like the first generation of serious space movies and oh they, yeah they just you know in the 90s make it lighter they kind of
3: yeah there's, it yeah there's it. definitely like an air but you know there were some serious ones got has like kind of a serious one oh in contact too yeah
4: <laughs> yeah this was a pre-9-11 movie right mm-hmm. yeah for and sure so when tony jones has a speech which we'll get to later about how like the earth is like in always imminent danger yeah this was before we you know, as collective consciousness, uh, experience collective danger. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So I think there's like a, you know, sort of like a, a whimsicality that we're kind of, of almost like, I don't know, like it's kind of like a defense mechanism, like where we're afraid to feel like a, too whimsical about the future. Right. Right. You know,
1: but Um, it's, it's dark, you know, like it's, um, the movie's very, or, you know, at least the characters in the, in the plot are very aware of the, uh, the perils yeah and, you know far- but they're just kind of blase about it they're just you know like tommy lee jones and um or k and the agent k and, and zed are just like blase and i don't know if that's like them just being jaded and cynical bureaucrats yeah. you know or them just being for sure jaded and cynical I I have, of having to yeah.
3: confront all you know these perils all the time I definitely have theories about this but let's set up some context let's talk about what was happening i'm gonna do something a little different this time i'm just gonna tell you what was happening i'm going to place you in this moment we're not going to necessarily connect any of these things to the movie but things that happened in 1997 let's take you there in 1997 princess diana was killed in a car crash in paris after being chased by paparazzi the mars pathfinder lands on mars mike tyson bites the olivander holyfield's ear off The Nintendo 64 makes its debut. That was a big one. I remember watching this commercial for Star Fox 64. The introduction of the Rumble Pack. I think this is what I mean when I say the future was happening in front of my eyes. The average cost of a house was 124 thousand dollars, and a movie ticket cost 4.59. Barry Sonnenfeld, after an impressive run as a cinematographer, photographing such films as Raising Arizona, Big. When Harry met Sally. He goes on to direct the Adams Family and its sequel, and then he lands on Men in Black. I didn't know he was involved with Raising Arizona. Yes, which is a neat connect, uh, connection to, yeah. <laughs> to our That's first awesome. episode. And uh, listen Blood listen Simple to that too, episode. right? What's yeah. That, what's that? I the, to that episode. the no country.
1: <laughs> we should do Raising Arizona someday, too. I love that movie. It's the, one of my favorites.
3: Yeah, Raising Arizona is hilarious. And you know, to bring it back to Will Smith, like Will Smith was huge. And Will Smith I mean, these are, like, the early days of Will Smith as, like, one of the world's biggest movie stars. Yeah. Yeah. 19- like
1: yeah. him coming off of French Fresh Prince, and then he, like, has, like, Independence Day yeah. and this. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he was, like, a big blockbuster star. Yeah.
3: Him. And I think it's easier yeah, to forget that TV didn't mean then what it means now. Like, uh, to be a TV star was a different thing than, you know, to being a movie star. So he wanted to make that transition, you know, and like he can be only so famous if you were on TV as a star. So in 1995, he has Bad Boys, 96, Independence Day, which like basically makes him a star. I think that was the first movie I saw in theaters twice. And then 97, Men in Black, that's three in a row. And I think the year after that is probably Wild West and probably, I think, Enemy of the Estate. They're huge. And I think, like, this is one, like, the first time I had awareness of, like, someone being a star. Like, someone I was excited to see. Um, yeah, I was just excited to see Will Smith. Like, uh, he he was exciting. He was funny. He made me laugh. Like, I got his humor as a kid. Like, I responded to it. Um, he was just, like, this charisma and this timing that, you know, even a child can respond to. I read that uh, the
1: producers of Men in Black wanted... Clint Eastwood and Chris O'Donnell for Agent K and yeah, Agent J. Yeah, not the J. same. Nobody
3: talks about fucking Barry Chris Sonnenfeld
1: O'Donnell. Wanted, <laughs> Barry Sonnenfeld wanted uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith. Um, and he had, like, such a disagreement with production over it that he, like, left the project. Yeah. Um, but, like, he, he did uh, uh, some other movie. I can't remember what it was. Uh,
3: get, um, get, shorty. Gets, get Shorty. Get yeah. Shorty. Get Shorty. yeah, he did Get Shorty. Yeah, he
1: did that and then went... And then he came back to the project and they were willing to uh, listen to him. Get Shorty was huge.
3: Yeah. I remember that too, like that being a big deal. I still, to this day, have not seen Get Shorty. So I don't know what the big deal was, but I remember the posters. (laughs) Have you seen that
1: one, Get Shorty?
4: No. So we're going to have to be all ignorant on that. uh, (laughs) Going back to Will Smith, you know, he is just such a presence. Like he brings so much to a movie. It's such a singular quality that he brings. No wonder he was like the megastar of, like the late 90s summer blockbuster movies. Yeah. Especially these big temples, you know, like he is his own archetype. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's just like, he's funny and he's got like, Huge, huge energy, like big energy. And yeah, yeah,
3: I remember when I saw Independence Day in theaters, that the scene where he punches the alien, welcome to Earth, <laughs> welcome to Earth. Like both times <laughs> that I saw this in theaters, like the fucking they went wild, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, <laughs>
1: does he have a cigar in his mouth when he's doing that?
3: Oh. No, that's later, I, oh. yeah, yeah, <laughs> welcome to Earth. <laughs> um, but he has staying power. I mean, this yeah. is what we were going on 24 years since since Men in Black, at least. And oh, I mean, we'll. Will Smith is still famous. He's maybe he's not making what he, the movies he used to, but I mean, and people know who Will Smith is. And every time I talk about Stain power or like how long someone has been famous, I talk about the Beatles because from the first album to the last album was six years. <laughs>
1: It's <laughs> like, it like a huge, yeah, yeah.
3: That's a lot of, yeah.
1: a lot of production in a short <laughs> amount of time. I'm
4: glad you you mentioned it or put it in that context because I think for the three of us and for everybody in our generation, like I think we should step back and just like appreciate that we were there, yeah. at the heyday, right? Yeah, like we witness like Will Smith's uh, ascension, right? Mm-hmm. And we witness it at the perfect time, and I'm grateful for that and grateful for him.
3: Yeah, and like he's he's also like doing like I don't know he's very open about his relationship with Jada, and they're like doing really interesting things. I think the I don't know I, I don't know the exact details because I don't pay attention to like tabloid and stuff like that. But they have like an open relationship or something, something to that effect. I don't think if it's completely open. I heard that, yeah. But they're very open I about the news. relationship. Saw it in the news, which is like an interesting thing. You know, it's like very modern, and <laughs> that's cool that they're you know keeping up with the times, making keeping it interesting. Um, yeah, I'm not as interested about um,
4: about Will Smith the person as I am as Will Smith <laughs> the uh, movies. Uh, On-screen personality (laughs) who can beat up aliens, fire the big guns, maneuver the big spaceships. I'm not
3: interested in Will Smith unless he's 30 feet tall. (laughs) Did you guys hear
1: that they're making a uh, dramatic uh, reboot of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? No. It's like, uh, you know, not comedy. It's like a TV TV drama. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Will
3: Smith's involved. That's perfect. That's exactly what uh, I needed.
1: That's what I know Will Smith from is when when I was growing up... um, Out in Barstow, we didn't have uh, we had like rabbit ears, you know, on the TV, and we got one channel, and it was uh, Family Matters, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Bel Air, and Full House, those were like the three shows we got, yeah. So I watched a lot of Fresh Prince.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, so let's get to talking about the movie, like what this movie is about, and scenes that we want to talk about. Juan, do you want to go first? Do you uh, have something to say about that? Or do you wanna do you wanna
4: <laughs> You know it's so interesting? I definitely thought that I was gonna go third for all of this. I was going we we're gonna listen to your guest's like, you know, opinions and experience and uh then the newbie would like just weigh in with like a word or two.
3: mean, <laughs> well, we we're right here because we're interested in the things you have to say, but if you want us to start first, you can jump on after.
4: You know, I don't know if uh You can edit this around so that maybe I'm not the one framing, you know, what this movie is about, (laughs) Uh, because I certainly have thought about it since you've asked me to sort of um, guest star on your guys' show. And it seems to me that this movie, despite how silly it is Mm -hmm. uh, and how much fun it is, is a movie about duty. Mm Mm-hmm. Because these are characters who are constantly interrogating what their sense of duty is and what and what and whom they have responsibility to. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, that changes Mm -hmm. over the course of the movie. Because we know that for K, his responsibility is to the earth Mm -hmm. until it isn't. Yeah. For J, the responsibility is to his own personal life, his own personal ambitions until it isn't right? Uh, and the same as can be said for D, right? Um, and I think, like, ultimately it's about the choices that they make, who they decide to be responsible for, who, what duties they have. Is it a duty to a single person or is it a duty to the whole universe, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's not a universal truth for any of the characters. It's about how characters, people do change and their priorities will change and that's okay.
3: I think that can sort of tie into what I think this movie is about. Patrick, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, on that?
1: the um the uh it being about duty is is a good I I like the observation. Uh it's been tough for me to figure out why anybody would willingly um go into the organization, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because uh um you know, Tommy Lee Jones lays it out for him. Uh, Agent K lays it out for him. Here's, you know, here's the deal. You're not going to, nobody's ever going to know who you are, but this is what you get to work on. Basically you get to work on, um, you know, the
3: protection of um, the human race. Yeah. I'm kind of interested in why you like this movie because it's about duty one, because like we mentioned earlier, like you're really into Mulan and I think that's a movie also (laughs) Uh (laughs) centered on this sense of duty. Like what is it about? that theme, that concept that gets your attention. You know, it's interesting because it's,
4: you asked me to sort of share what I do for, again, a dollar in my pocket. Uh And uh, it's not something I would have thought to have shared. Um, But uh, given that it is a career path Mm -hmm. that ostensibly is to put others before you, right. Ostensibly to put society and the well-being of society before you, or at least part of your um life mm-hmm. i think um i'm always thinking about duty yeah. you know um and to be fair like that's not what I came out of this movie theater as an eight year old thinking about, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like there's so many elements here that work and cause me to love this film. Yeah. So I don't even know. If that's why I love this movie. Honestly, like <laughs> I think it's what this movie's about. I don't know, but that's why I love the movie though.
3: Yeah. I feel like you're into that. Um, it's, I mean, it's hard to
1: read, especially from, uh, the characters like agent K and Zed, yeah. you know, like, are, are they motivated by duty? They seem like kind of, they seem like, just kind of like jaded bureaucrats to me that they're like, just like punching the clock. yeah. Like they're so like blase about the end of the world. Yeah. (laughs) Like, um, but, uh, I, 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 I like the characters and I think it makes them interesting that Mm -hmm. you can see, you can, I can see that. I can see that it, you know, they are duty bound, but they are also like, whatever.
3: Yeah. (laughs) So I had a couple of thoughts about what this movie is about. Um, I see, kind of like two different engines working when I watch this movie and I think it's hard to ignore like the subtle or not so subtle commentary on immigration and government. Like this song, mm-hmm. this movie starts off with like a truck full of immigrants and, um, there's this ongoing story. And like, I don't, <laughs> I'm, I'm not cynical enough to think that they're comparing Im- immigrants to bugs or like which lives matter and which lives don't, you know? Um, but there is something going on and, um, I feel like I can't ignore that. And we, we talked about that quote about like prying uh, his gun from his cold dead fingers yeah. and how that's like um, something that's really popular among like conservatives to a people.
1: Yeah. I'm, uh, Charlton Heston said it and uh, famously in 2000 in a
3: NRA, yeah. NRA convention. But there's also the fact that the, the more, the guy who works at the morgue, David Cross, um, after he's killed, you can see that it are before he's killed, he's you can see that he's reading a copy of Atlas Shrugged. Like, I, oh, I never noticed. I that. I just feel like there's like these small details that's yeah. like kind of like eh, we're talking we're talking about things here. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and I think it's about like um, maybe like immigrants immigrants and like class struggle. Um, and I think about even the different classes of aliens in this movie. Like in the beginning, when they pull up the truckload of immigrants, the Alien that they I don't remember his name But the alien that they Pull off to the side Yeah He he calls him Charlie He has a very Oh Mikey Yeah he has a very (laughs) Primitive disguise He's like basically (laughs) Draped in like Cloth and he's just Holding a head Yeah he's holding a fake head It's really silly But yeah yeah, So you know Like lower class Indian He can't afford a good disguise When you get to this Like Archelian prince Who was like killed This guy has like A full on He's like piloting Like this really Intricate machinery Inside this dude's head And he's royalty You know what I mean Um, So you get this like high, low class, um, you know, uh, mobility, uh, for, you know, immigrants and like people of means and stuff like that. Um, so I think there's also like stuff about like competent gov- government, like there's like, yeah. Yeah. That's, um,
1: that's what I see a lot of the movie is about is like, yeah. the, you know, them, them framing the MIB as this bureaucracy, right. Yeah. And they, they kind of are, and they kind of aren't cause mm-hmm. the government doesn't even know about them really. They're kind of like outside of government, but yeah. they they act like a bureaucracy you know like you can see everybody in the office like pushing papers around and um and uh yeah it is kind of like a intergalactic like immigration bureau yeah yeah i kind of thought of it, it i kind of thought of it as uh did you guys see loki the uh disney series yes it's like the tva it's like the time time variance uh Agency. Authority, agency, authority, authority, something authority like, maybe. yeah, something like that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the same kind of concept. And I was wondering, you know, I didn't look too deeply into it, but I thought that maybe that was kind of a nod to Men in Black, this, you know, um, this agency that deals with the supernatural. But it's it's like a, a bureaucracy that
3: you might run into on, on planet Earth. The other engine that I was talking about, because I saw a couple of different things working, is that like this is a buddy cop movie. <laughs> mm. in the tradition of like 48 hours, The Last Boy Scout, Lethal Weapon, So you got the black guy, you got the white guy. Um, We think we have the loose canning and the by the book type, Um, but the movie like almost flips it. It's like an old man who's like out of touch and jaded and um, he's looking at Will Smith like he's this young kid who is incapable, but I think the movie shows you over and over again that he's like incredibly capable. Yeah,
1: and I think in a lot of ways, Jay, Agent Jay is like more concerned. Yeah. You know, and less of a loose cannon than Kay. Yeah. Kay is careless. Like he... Um, when he like flips the button and turns the car into a supercar, and he's just like just so totally nonchalant about like flying through the tunnel at a thousand miles an hour on the ceiling. Yeah, you get the sense that like he's passing the tr- the torch, you know. Yeah. Um, which I think is pretty cool. That like I actually the only times I see like anything resembling like joy or excitement from K is like that he sees like talent in J and sees like that he can. Pass the torch to Jay
3: Yeah Oh let's listen to that uh, When there's uh, On the bench All right, kid Here's the deal
0: At any given time There are around 1500 aliens On the planet Most of them Right here in Manhattan And most of them Are decent enough They're just trying To make a living Cab drivers Uh, Not as many As you'd think Humans for the most part Don't have a clue They don't want one Or need one either They're happy They think they have A good bead on things Uh, But why Why the big secret People are smart They can handle it A person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. 1,500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was flat, and 15 minutes ago, you knew that people were alone on this planet. Imagine what you'll know tomorrow. What's the catch? The catch? The catch is, you will sever every human contact. Nobody will ever know you exist anywhere. Ever. I'll give you the sunrise to think it over. Hey, is it worth it? Oh yeah, it's worth it.
3: If you're strong enough. I see you nodding smelling one. <laughs> Why don't you speak on that?
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean like I think that's arguably the best piece of dialogue uh in this movie, right? Um, because it speaks to what I was talking about earlier, like what is an individual's sense of responsibility and duty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think this is a movie that's calling upon everybody mm-hmm. to sacrifice their full lives in order to protect everybody else's full lives, mm-hmm. but, uh, it certainly speaks that there might be room for all of us to do somewhat that mm-hmm. and that others might be called to do more. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I think you're right caesar uh by pointing out you know the moral political undertones and for us to be talking about that and certainly whenever any piece of art speaks to you know our sense of morality as a species mm-hmm. um and dives deep into it and looks at uh, our politics as a society mm-hmm. uh, it's probably gonna be something that i'm gonna like right yeah. but um I don't like this movie. I love this movie. Right. Yeah. And I think that the reason I love this movie is because on top of that deep dive into morality and politics and what it means to live in a moral society. And again, you could look at the intersection of how, like what, how they're presenting immigration, right. From that opening scene that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. I think that there's also something else going on here. And, when we look at the bureaucracy and who makes up that bureaucracy of like K and Z, I think what's happening here is that not only are they jaded bureaucrats, they know that they're in a the movie.
0: You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs>
4: like they know that they can coolly drive in a car upside down, uh-huh. and they know that if there is going to be an impending uh, apocalypse on Earth, that they're going to survive it, and they're going to survive it with style. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, and like you guys were mentioning, uh, Jay is our entry point. And Jay doesn't realize that he's in a movie yet, you know? And yeah. he is the everyman that is unlike the everyman's from generations past, right? Yeah. He is the fresh Prince of Bel Air, all of a sudden put into this intergalactic drama. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, he's become that everyman for us. He's the wisecracking, you know, minority person of color, right? <laughs> Not usual, typical everyman in American cinema, right? Um, uh, it, and, and it's that scene where they shoot down the flying saucer, right? And the flying saucer comes landing onto Earth. And Kay is there standing with his gun, very stoic, not caring about it all.
1: And Jay's like looking over at Kay like, hey, are we
4: going to move out of the way of
1: this thing? Are we going to let it hit us?
4: You know what else happened uh, the same year this movie came out? Was um, Buffy the Vampire came out mm. and Buffy the Vampire Slayer was one of those uh, narratives that likes to wink at the audience right mm-hmm. it tells the audience like we know that we are in a wacky genre and we're going to acknowledge that even as we take things seriously and I feel like this movie kind of does the same thing yeah. you know, where like the characters are in different places some of them know they're in a the movie and some of them are sort of like discovering the world for the first time
3: yeah I mean, I can see that, but I think uh, they are like, especially in this thing. Um, I mean, it, it, like, it goes into my, my, like my, my thoughts about like what this movie saying about Im- immigrants, especially the beginning of this bench scene, but he's talking like this there's like millions in this city, you know, like yeah. obviously like it's like an analog for like the immigrants in the city, just like trying to live their lives and just making ends meet and stuff like that. But also how he says like people are stupid and they're dangerous, you know? Yeah. I mean?
1: Right. Right. It's like he bil- said, he said something like, uh, yeah, a person is smart, but people are, you know, dumb and panicky and you know it. Yeah, yeah. And
3: maybe this movie is winking, but it also is setting up as, like, this this person that's, like, uh, cynical about, like, what human life means. And I think um, Will Smith is not, like, like, he, like, values that. Like, yeah. he, like, I think we talked about this with the Terminator podcast about, like, this frivolity that makes humans human. And you see that when... Um, they they flashy thing Edgar's wife. Oh yeah, uh, where where he's like not satisfied with just like this bullshit. Yeah, story. Kay, do, Kay doesn't
1: care about <laughs> what memory he gives her. You know, Jay wants to you know get her get her a makeover and like uh, yeah. get an interior
0: decorator and, because
3: yeah. damn. <laughs> damn,
0: all right Beatrice. There was no alien. Flash of light you saw in the sky was not a UFO. Swamp gas from a weather
2: balloon was trapped in a thermal pocket and refracted the light from Venus. Well, wait wait a minute. So you just flash that thing, it erases our memory and you, you just make up a new one? A standard issue neuralizer. And that weak ass story is the best you can come up with. All right. On a more
0: personal note, Beatrice, Edgar ran off with an old girlfriend. You're gonna go stay with your mom a couple of nights. You're
2: gonna get over it and decide you're better off. Well, yeah, you know, because he never appreciated you anyway. In fact, you know what? You kicked him out. And now that he's gone, you going to go in town, you go to Bloomingdale's, you find yourself some nice dresses, get yourself some shoes, you know, find somewhere maybe you get a facial. And, uh, oh, hire a decorator to come in here quick, because damn.
3: <laughs> but, um, and I think, I think... Yeah, I think Jay or no K constantly like undermines or like he doesn't think very much of like yeah, you know what Jay is doing.
1: I um, just get the impression of a guy who's you know thirty years into a government career and just he doesn't care anymore. He's just like he's punching the clock.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and you get you get Will Smith's character. Let's listen. Do you want to listen to Little Tiffany or yeah? Let's listen to Little Tiffany.
2: Edward, what the hell happened? Hesitated. May I ask why you felt little Tiffany deserved to die? Well, she was the only one that actually seemed dangerous at the time, sir. How'd you come to that conclusion? Well, first I was going to pop this guy hanging from the street light, and then I realized, you know, he's just working out. How would I feel if somebody come running in the gym, bust me in my ass while I'm on a treadmill? Then I saw this uh, snarling beast guy, and I noticed he had a tissue in his hand. I realized, you know, he's not snarling. He's sneezing. You know, ain't no real threat there. And I saw a little Tiffany. I'm thinking, you know, eight-year-old white girl, middle of the ghetto, bunch of monsters this time of night with quantum physics books. She's about to start some shit, Zed. She's about eight years old. Those books are way too advanced for her. If you ask me, I say she's up to something. And to be honest, I'd appreciate it if you eased up off my back about it. Or do I owe her an apology?
3: <laughs> so, like, okay. The thing about Will Smith is like, he's actually really Like he's thinking outside of the box. Like he's in, yeah. he's in this room with all these like, uniformed people and he's, he's asking more questions than these people are asking. Like, he's kind of inventive. He's resourceful. He pulls the table toward himself. Um, he's not afraid to like be like loud and, and like different from everyone else. And in this scene with the target range, like, I mean, he has like re- pretty legit reasons for like making that choice. Like maybe he's being like a, like a, like a dipshit or something, but like, you know, a part of him did think it through and and like the the movie constantly plants all these little things that like that make him a competent person like from the scene at the pawn shop like he's quick he knows to play along with Tommy Lee Jones immediately like he knows like oh they're they're gonna like kind of like shake this guy down but as soon as Tommy Lee Jones does something that he like Will Smith like finds like Wrong. He he's like so quick to pull out his gun. Yeah,
1: yeah. K K takes him there, yeah. uh, but Jay already knows the shop. He knows the guy who owns it, and um, yeah, you know, this is this guy. All he has is like you know uh, bootleg Rolexes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like as soon as Kay like does something, like he knows that he's not bluffing anymore. Then he pulls the gun on K. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and like but, he, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, going back to the Tiffany scene. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I'm harping on this like point that the movie's poking fun at bureaucracies. Um, when he dismisses everybody else except for Jay, mm-hmm. um, you know, he says to, he says to all of the candidates is like, you guys have been great. You, uh, um, uh, he says something like, "You're everything we've come to expect from years of government training." <laughs>
3: uh, That's That's which is great. like, "So good." That's great. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, Jay also is the one that figures out like he's going to use these spaceships. To escape. Like he sticks with his gut and yeah. when he's like he keeps on like telling this thing about Orion's belt and they're like, No, that's that's not what you heard. Like it's wrong. He sticks with his gut and it's very it echoes back to the first scene when he chases down the alien and then like the cops don't believe him. When he's like, Oh no, you he blinked with two sets of eyelids, you know, but yeah. he, he like keeps on sticking to his gut and like no matter how crazy these people think. Right. He yeah. knows and
1: trusts his experience and intuition, right? Yeah.
3: Like Yeah. He ran down a cephalopod on foot. Yeah. Yeah. That's gotta come. That's gotta, gotta come
0: for, for
1: something.
3: <laughs> Um, And I think like the biggest The biggest fuck up he makes Is like Firing off that noisy cricket You know what I mean Mm -hmm. But I was thinking about this And this is like kind of bullshit Because like Kay never tells him, like, what that gun is going to do. You no. Know I mean? Yeah, he's just <laughs> screwing with him. He's, like, hazing the new guy. You yeah. Know? Like, and, then, and when he's, like, oh, like, in case you forgot, there's, like, this Archeleon battleship, you know. And yeah. he's, like, well, there always is. But, like, how, it's the second day of the job. You Like, you never told him any of this right. bullshit. Like, somebody's always, like, trying to destroy the earth, you know? Do you have that? his fault. <laughs> do, you, do you have that clip? You know? This I, is- I don't do oh. it. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs>
2: Charge our weapons and view of the public. Man, we ain't got time for this cover-up bullshit. I don't know whether or not you've forgotten, but there's an alien battle cruiser about to. There's z-
0: always an alien
2: battle cruiser, or a Carillion death ray,
0: or an intergalactic plague that's about to wipe out life on this miserable little planet. The only way these people get on with their happy lives is they do not know about.
4: You know, this is not a a chosen one narrative, right? Like, there's no great prophecy saying that Jay is the one who's going to be saving the planet, right? Uh Um, It is a chosen one narrative in the sense that Kay has handpicked him, right? Yeah. And it is clear to the audience that this is the guy. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you talk about him fucking up when he discharges the noisy cricket in front of the crowd, right? Yeah. But that's the same instinct that he has that draw that had him draw a, a gun on K in the pawn shop. Right. Yeah. Because he has a really great sense of morality of what's right and what's wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. And to him in the moment, untested and unexperienced that he is, it is wrong to continue to lie to people as they're under threat right so aside from him running down cephalopods and being a good shot on little Tiffany and pulling <laughs> the table over right he's also has a good heart yeah and Kay gets all the credit for you know recognizing that yeah he is a worthy successor
3: yeah and I think this movie like yeah I think this movie is about like passing the chart but I think it's like this like uh, this bigger idea of of like passing the t- torch to like someone young someone like n- non-white you know um i think there's like there's like this bigger thing happening about like who gets to frame the narrative and uh who, who gets to be the hero you know um and i think this the ghost hand in hand like this jaded government it's like these tired old white guys that are just like you know they can't do this job anymore um and 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 they choose someone who like thinks differently who's like quicker who's like just sees the world in, in like in a different way you know
4: You know, we think about, like, where Men in Black came from. Well, first of all, I do want to give credit to uh, the source material, which uh, Men in Black was originally a comic book. Yeah. So, uh, speaking about, like place in time in which uh, this movie came about Mm -hmm. it was when Hollywood was flirting with the idea of like having movies based on comic books yeah right Uh, it's still kind of ahead of its time wasn't quite there yet Mm -hmm. Um, but it was an American comic book uh, by Lowell Cunningham and Sandy Caruthers. but um, the idea of Men in Black was not from a comic book That's sort of like American kind of like um uh uh, conspiracy theory mm-hmm. right like uh, the idea of men in black is tied to conspiracy theories related to aliens and the reason why they have become like this figment of collective imagination is because they're nondescript right mm-hmm. it's always white guys in, in, in suits right yeah. anybody could be a white guy in suit in America <laughs> but uh, here is a, a dynamic shift uh-huh. right uh, where our main men in black is a black man you know yes. And it's and it's one who is is funny and smart and uh you know unapologetic
3: yeah the most famous man in the world <laughs> um let's talk about edgar
1: <laughs> yeah edgar edgar is one of my favorite things about this movie uh you, this uh, this movie got an oscar for makeup i think because of edgar's Prosthetics and yeah, his performance. Like, <laughs> but, um, but
4: shout out to uh, Rick Baker, who was the special effects guru on this movie and has a huge filmography. A legend in
3: Hollywood. Nice. Do you know what else Rossi did?
4: Uh, he was uh, one of the folks who worked on Star Wars. I don't think he was the main person on mm. Star Wars, but he has worked on anything from Star Wars to the Men in Black movies yeah. to. Uh like those Eddie Murphy movies where he like is different characters, you know what I'm saying? Like
3: the, <laughs> oh. Like the, uh, the Nutty Professor. One yeah. of those or the
4: Norbits or one of those, yeah. I love the Nutty Professor.
3: But yeah, he's really good in this. I think I think this this is like an underrated Vincent D'Onofrio performance.
1: Yeah, yeah. He um I was reading some interviews. Uh uh Sonnenf- Sonnenfeld uh um heard of his uh you know what he was like working with Kubrick on Full Metal Jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, Kubrick didn't give him any direction. Just too weird. Like these two directors are weird about actors. Um, when he, when he cast, when uh, Sonnenfeld casted D'Onofrio it was like, he was like, I hope he doesn't talk to want to talk to me about acting. Like, <laughs> like he doesn't want to, he, he doesn't want to like direct his actors. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, Kubrick was the same way with, uh, with D'Onofrio in, in full metal jacket, he like didn't give him much direction yeah. and, and Sonnenfeld liked that and was like, I want to go with this guy. So, cause I don't really, I can let him have it. I can let him have it and he'll like come up with something good. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, um, I was reading in, in interviews, uh, Edgar, um, the, the voice he was, he was putting on, uh, for that performance, he was taking from uh, a couple of different sources, uh, an actor in, uh, Dr. Strangelove, um, can't remember the guy's name, but uh, a yeah, really gravelly voice. He was one of the generals in Doctor Strangelove, and, mm-hmm. uh, and he was also imitating John Huston um, from Chinatown. You know, you know that uh, that that kind of ridiculous voice that he that he's putting on in in the in the movie, and he, and also like to kind of like portray a giant bug like stuffed inside a human like human skin like yeah he uh he was wearing braces on his knees and ankles so that like he wouldn't bend his (laughs) bend his uh bend his legs but uh yeah just like a great funny like physical performance funny funny now
3: but when i was a kid it was kind of frightening his line his his uh, lighting rings are classic like they're just so bizarre let's listen to that scene
2: a man came in here earlier a dead man and that means what to me
1: it was a very dear friend of mine.
0: I
2: believe he had an animal with him. It was a gift I gave him. A pet cat. It means worlds to me. Oh, I'd like to have it back.
3: <laughs> it's like he's struggling to get the words out. Like he's choking on these words like he's <laughs> a pet cat but like you you made the comment that his, his makeup degrades like over the course
1: yeah yeah, yeah. if you watch uh yeah. he's he's uh yeah his skin starts sagging more like it's like flaking off and yeah like one of his teeth is like barely hanging it like <laughs> hanging on for dear <laughs> life um but uh i i just yeah i like that because he's literally wearing like a dead
4: Human skin, yeah. yeah, as a costume, and it is decomposing in front of our eyes.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I just, I, I, I like. I think I realized that. I just, I watched it again today. Like I've watched it twice for this pod, and. it's like, it's, it's so, it's, it's gross. It's like pretty bizarre by the time he rips it off and it it looks so fucking good when he like takes off the seat, the way the face looks is like, oh my God, it's it's so good. Um, yeah. Testament to the powers of, was it? Rick Baker.
4: That's right. The combination of this like nascent special effects uh, technology as far as like CGI goes, right? Yeah. And then old schools, practical effects, you know, like a wonderful marriage in this movie and a brilliant performance. Absolutely.
3: <laughs> is there anything any other thing you want to talk
1: about, Patrick? I do want to go back in and, and um uh there's a point on on what the film is about I wanted to make yeah. um the movie touches on this repeatedly that uh, uh, our stories our stories are insignificant in the vastness of the universe. And it starts right off the bat with the dragonfly. Yeah. Um, in the beginning credits, uh-huh. um, it's right on the dragonfly following it through its, its story, um, dramatic music until it smacks against the windshield music stops and it transfers over to, over to another character who doesn't, you know, is not aware of this like, yeah. drama going on with the dragonfly.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but, uh, you know, it
3: happens repeatedly. Um, the first shot and the last shot. The last shot of the aliens play marbles with the galaxies.
1: Yeah, our galaxy that we're residing in, and it's insignificant enough to be, you know, just one marble among many in the bag of, you know, marbles that this this aliens playing with. And and same with the, um, the, like the central, you know, like, um, uh, like item of concern in the mo- in the movie is Orion's bobble on his neck the, the galaxy which is this little insignificant important thing
4: yeah if i could uh, chime in about a, a scene that please do has a lot of impact to me and it's one that uh you already talked about and that patrick just brought up is that opening scene yeah right and again i have to go back to watching this movie as uh an elementary school boy you know Uh, A brown boy growing up in America, Mm -hmm. uh, a child of immigrants. And as all brown children of immigrants do who grew up in America, uh, you look up to the superheroes, right? Mm -hmm. You look up to the folks who wield swords and blasters and win the day, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't see the story of immigrants depicted, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That's not a central character in the stories that you consume and love. And then all of a sudden in the story, you have people who resemble your family right yeah. in the opening scene right who could be in other movies cast aside as uh, something that's to be made fun of the butt of a joke yeah or perhaps a threatening sort of uh, force right yeah uh, but in this movie their livelihoods and their journey is validated mm-hmm By the hero. Yeah. Right. By Tom Lee Jones, Mm -hmm. Uh, the great furrowed brow of America, you know, like (laughs) Harvard football star, all-American Tom Lee Jones comes in and says that these people do deserve to be in this country. They should be treated with respect. Uh, You know, bienvenidos the (laughs) needles. you know what I'm saying? That can't help but like affect me in a certain way and like leave uh my heart feeling a little bit lighter you know having watched that to say that the hero of this movie tom lee jones says that it is okay for immigrants to come into this country yeah i mean that's touching
3: yeah and you get this like tracking shot that's a close-up of all their faces kind of giving you all their characters and you know most of them are like older people and before he sends him off, he tells the agents, like, oh, yeah, go you know, take care of those dangerous aliens, <laughs> like, sarcastically. <you> know? <laughs> like, I, I guess I didn't never thought about it that in, in the same way. But, like, watching these last two times, and it, it affected me, like, probably the way it should back then. I guess I wasn't thinking about it when I first saw it. Too young for that. I was thinking about Nintendo 64. And <laughs> that rumble pack. <laughs> and that rumble pack. That was the shit. That was crazy. We still got that. Um, staying power like Will Smith. Uh, um, we wanted to do a, a new thing. Uh, we wanted to do a, a segment. <laughs> Juan, tell us about the segment. <laughs>
4: yeah. So, uh, one of the devices in the movie, and it's also a plot device, is the flashy, pointy thing in the, the neuralizer, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like one of Standard the stars issue. of the movie, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you point the flashy thingy at somebody yeah. and they forget, and you can plant new memories. Yeah. So um, do you wanna introduce it from here
3: <laughs> okay um, I guess the idea is um a time in our lives that can uh what would we like to forget like if we had a neuralizer, what is the event that we f- would forget? Or make somebody else forget. Or, oh, is that, we can, we
1: can do that too. That's, sure, why that's not? A whole other right? level, you man. have this tool. You can do it to yourself. You can do it to somebody else.
3: Um, all right, Patrick, you go first.
1: Oh, man. I think anytime I have to do public speaking or anything like that, I'll just flash a neuralizer at the whole, whole crowd.
3: Um, Is that it? Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> juicy. <laughs> um, okay, so. When I was 13, I got, um, I got my braces off and that same week I had my, (laughs) well, actually that's brings up another memory too. Let's do two of them. (laughs) (laughs) So I had braces from 10 to 13 and I was like a really just like sloppy kid, like really lazy, really sloppy, and sloppy, was sloppy. Like I was sloppy. Like I, I just like, I was this kid that wore jean shorts that went like mid shin. I never brushed my hair. So I just had this fuzzy hair all the time. And then I had braces, which made it even worse. And so let's do them in order. So the day I got my braces off, like, I never listened to, like, any rule about braces, about brushing, about not eating gum, about flossing. I never flossed once when I had braces. And... So, one's laughing. I wore really braces. Right I wore braces for three years, and on the day they were taken off, the stench coming from my mouth prompted the orthodontist to gag. Oh my god! This is the sloppiest thirteen-year-old I've ever seen i could i could we're driving home and i was just like retching the whole time because it was so fucking disgusting i stopped at a super for a mouthwash and i just cleaned my mouth out right there in the parking lot i've practiced much better oral hygiene since so you'd neuralize that i wouldn't the and then a week later i had my first girlfriend who was in the eighth grade and we were at the dance and we went behind the curtains on the stage, and I had my first kiss. <laughs> and after it was over, she's like, That was the worst kiss I've ever had. <laughs> well, she wasn't retching, was she? <laughs> no, okay. she wasn't retching. <laughs> well, that's good. I brushed <laughs> my teeth thoroughly before then. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's say those two things. <laughs> Juan, you're up. <laughs> Great. And uh, feel free to edit this one out. Uh, <laughs>
4: Yeah, you were there. I mean, I was I was <laughs> I was laughing right now because I knew what story you were about to tell and I um couldn't help myself. Uh but you were there. Uh we were at a show
3: uh, and yeah, was at the that the Echo. At the Echo, yeah. Who, who, who are we watching? On Sunset. We were watching a band called The Generationals. <laughs> All right.
4: This is a public apology to The Generationals. I'm so sorry for <laughs> what I did that day. Um, because it was a fun show, right? A yeah. uh, freewheeling kind of show, small venue, energetic crowd. And uh, they had kind of like instruments at the front of the stage. that are just like giving out to the audience, like tambourines. What else? I don't know. Like those egg shaker
3: things maybe. I don't know. Man. <laughs> you remember it differently than I do.
4: Well, you know what? (laughs) Nobody's going to remember after I use the neuralizer. After I use the neuralizer, everybody's going to remember something different. Well, what I remember is that they were passing out these instruments. You know, play with us, audience, you know? Be one with the music. And so I pick up. No, I didn't pick it up. No, no, it was handed to me. The tambourine was handed to me. Like an object from on high. (laughs) <laughs> like it was meant to be in my hand. And I feel like I tried to pawn it off to others, you know, like, hey, who 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 wants this instrument? Uh, nobody would take it. So I was like, okay, great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tambourine along to this band. And I guess I didn't realize I how old we were, like early 20s, right? Yeah, probably 23 or something. Yeah, we're like, it's like 10 years ago. Um, I guess I didn't realize... I didn't have any rhythm, right? Like, I guess I never had really put that to the test in such a public way before. So, like, I just thought, like, what's the worst that can happen? You know? Like, fuck it, we're the a band. Uh, we're at a show. And so I start playing the tambourine. What I think is along to the music, it doesn't feel right. I'll say that right away. It did not feel right. I'm just like, okay, well, I, I'm committed now, you know? I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's not that bad. I'm sure it's just in my head. Um, and then the song's over. And put away the tambourine somebody takes it from me you know and at that moment the band actually retreats the instruments away from the audience you know they're like oh that's enough of that say like, oh i'm sure i'm sure that means nothing i'm sure like i'm sure i'm just in it's just in my head i'm sure i did fine i'm sure there's no connection there and then yeah but then uh you know, what, here's a here's the horrible part. It's not that I overheard somebody say it; it's that you overheard them say it, and you repeated it to me to make sure. I
3: heard this it. is what happened. This is my memory of those events. It'd be a perfectly fine memory if you hadn't been. And please, uh, you can neuralize the shout out me later because I yeah. love telling this yeah. story.
4: I wish I, wish I could neuralize everybody that night.
3: So we I'm go. Sorry to, that I remember. We go to this show. Juan must have been really drunk because I don't remember them handing him an instrument. What I remember is that there was a tambourine on the stage near Juan. <laughs> <laughs> this may or may not be false But the rest is true Juan is playing this shit wildly Like just out of rhythm And, and you maintain that they gave you the tambourine
4: <laughs> I was handed by a, an audience member. I don't, oh, I don't
3: know if you've ever been to the Echo But it's tiny And this tambourine is resounding Like this is like You hear this over all the music Like the band cannot <laughs> The band could barely keep time Because they're just like so thrown off By the noise that Juan is making <laughs> <laughs> So and I'm like embarrassed because Because like, you know, I play music and this is like, like, that is like the, it was like the worst. That is the worst thing that you can do is just like, that'll throw everyone off. That'll throw the drummer off. That'll throw everyone off. So at the end of the song, the guitarist goes up to Juan. He yanks his tambourine away from him. And I was like cringing. I was like, oh my God. So like my instinctually, I go and I start flipping through Twitter and I type into the echo. And immediately the first thing I see is this girl who was at the show. She says, I just want to say fuck you to the guy playing the tambourine at the Uh, (laughs) generation show.
4: Neuralizer. Neuralizer.
0: At that moment.
4: Everybody forgets, <laughs> and uh, I will of course implant the memory that not only that I played the tambourine amazingly, but like I go on stage and I do like a solo with the tambourine, <laughs> and everybody tambourine just like solo <laughs> <laughs> agrees that I killed it. That would be my neuralizer moment. Yeah.
3: <laughs> All right. Um, let's move on to stray observations. Are there any stray observations that we wanted to talk about today? Can you uh, remind uh, us in the audience what that means? Straight observation. So it's not anything that we think has to do with like maybe what the movie is about or anything that like doesn't lead to a broader topic. Just things that we notice while watching the movie.
1: I couldn't help but think of uh, George Costanza on the park bench or at the beach. You know, on the on on the bench looking out at the sea. While Will Smith was considering whether or not to join MIB, <laughs>
3: um, I don't have any big ones. I mean, I think the first, like another thing that I noticed in this time around is that the guy you're driving the truck at the beginning is Uncle Rico from Oh Napoleon, Yeah Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, but other than that, um, I don't, I don't know. Juan, is there any other thing that you want to like pick up on or anything? And is this also where we talk about things that we don't like about the movie, or is that later? Oh no, we can do that too. If you want to talk about what you don't like about the movie, uh, yeah, that's really interesting because I don't, I, I can, I don't think I can like pick anything out that I don't like about this movie. I was actually like really pleased with it this time around. Are there things you don't like? I think the Linda Florentino character is
4: pretty weak. You know what I'm saying like, I don't know what she brings to this movie. I, let me rephrase that. And you can, you can re- re- redo this actually. That's fine. <laughs> um, the Linda Florentino character is like, they need a love interest and they also need somebody to take to, to be a new partner to Jay, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she's, I think that's the bigger story. Serves step. the story that way. Yeah. Right. But for most of the movie, she's either absent or she's a damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like this movie should be too sophisticated to have the damsel in distress trope.
1: <laughs> yeah. She's kind of a recurring joke with the neuralizer, you know, like, uh, and it, it's even more than I thought previously because she comes. Um, Uh, like really soon into the movie, she introduces herself to Jay is like, I believe you, you know, you got to come to the morgue and I can show you some crazy stuff. Um, and, uh, that's kind of like, it's a really brief appearance and I didn't notice it the first time. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, she immediately after she introduces herself to Jay, she leaves the room and then you see the flash. That's like actually the second time you see the neuralizer. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Oh and and um and then when they meet it again in the morgue, they're like, Oh, do do I know you? Like yeah. yeah, yeah. Like they recognize each other, so yeah. they have like deja vu or something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, there is one thing yeah well, aside from that, okay, like, yeah, I think she's a pretty weak character, but I do like, like, their banter. Like, like it's silly, like, about, like, oh, I need to show you something, and she's pointing at her yeah. crotch, it's
1: <laughs> like,
3: okay. Oh, yeah. Damn,
1: girl, you don't gotta go all the way that, set, that,
3: that fast. Like, it, it's stupid, and yeah, her character probably serves no purpose. Like, I don't see a reason why that couldn't have been, like, David Cross, like, working at the morgue, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, aside from, like, them setting up that, like, she's taking the reins in the end. So, like, for it to, for for it to be, like, a power of like a, a moment of like women women's empowerment at the end where like oh she's like the new competent one uh, it doesn't say much for this movie but i don't know i haven't seen part two so i don't know what role she plays in that
1: i think she might have been absent yeah i can't even remember if she's did. in it, it might, or might have or been not. some
3: throwaway line yeah. about like oh
1: really oh your your new partner didn't cut it or like you didn't oh is get that get why along. he needs uh to get k back out of retirement uh, i think or? he's
4: like doing the whole solo thing like i don't need a partner mm.
1: you know? oh that wow may,
4: I I should say uh, for folks who are like fans of the sequel. Yeah. uh, I haven't seen the sequels as much as I like like the original movie. And it's actually I I see the part, the second part. Yeah. Um, Was a fan of the cartoon series, by the way. People forget (laughs) that, you know, again, like. As much as Hollywood was dipping its toe into like making comic book movies, yeah. it was also like this time where they're like, how can we make more money from these like properties, right? Yeah, and they would make cartoons out of movies that were not intended for children. These mm-hmm. were like mature movies, you know. Yeah. So they did like the Beetlejuice cartoon, they did the Starship Troopers cartoon, the the Mask cartoon, uh, and then they made a cartoon out of Men in Black and just kiddied it up. Yeah. So the worms are not smokers in the cartoon series they just really love coffee oh <laughs> i
3: love those worms yeah i thought that might be like you sorry little had, coming back into this movie i was like is this gonna be like prob- problematic or like racist or something but i don't know i'm not sure it is oh, so, yeah,
1: so there was <laughs> what accent are they doing like, <laughs> that's some kind of accent i just don't know what it is <laughs>
4: they're aliens. Uh, no, so there's that scene where there's that like sexual banter between like Will and Linda Florentino's character. Um, it's like great for a PG-13 movie. Yeah. But funny that they made like a kid's show off of this movie. You know?
3: <laughs> Another thing that I noticed and I, I, I breezed by it earlier but I wanted to talk about it and uh, in other episodes we've talked about like these moments where where movies just let you like chew on things, let you connect the dots themselves, like sort of like purely visual storytelling. And I think about the end when Kay realizes he's not suited for this job, and I think um, it's, I think if you like just watching and miss this, that you might think that he just made the decision just over time to to be like, oh, I'm done with this job, and like it's you now, but the reason he quits is because the bug sneaks up behind him at the end, you know? And, mm. and it's like the same, like D in the beginning, how he can't get his gun off to, to shoot the alien who's chasing after the border patrol or whatever. I mean, K yeah. turns his back oh, to the bug. Yeah. You think so?
1: Cause uh, yeah. it was, it was, uh, um, yeah, it was the mortician that, that killed the bug. Yeah, yeah exactly. They,
3: they both would have been. And that's the moment he realizes like he can't do this job anymore. It's dangerous for yeah. him. Like he's just not suited for it anymore. And I think that'd be, and they don't really mention that, but like, I realized, like watching it this time, is like, oh, that's why, like, he, he, that could be, yeah, yeah, he can't yeah. do it anymore. So it's not like it's a good point. This moral decision It's like a very practical decision for him to give up his position.
4: Is it possible that he knew that he was cultivating a replacement, but he just didn't know it was going to be this soon that
3: he was going to be uh, tapping out? Yeah, also possible. But, yeah. um, but I think when I got from then, when I noticed that the bug had snuck up on them, and is that that's kind of like what he like it kind of dawned on him that he was training a replacement. Like, he he didn't really know from the beginning that he was training. He just realized that, hey, you're really good at this. You're suited for this job. And like, oh, I've been training a replacement this whole time, I'm not a partner. Mm-hmm. So rewatching it that's that's what I get from that like maybe it's a small difference maybe it doesn't matter but that's kind of what I got from that ending there there's
4: uh, one line we haven't talked about and like I said there's like a lot of lines that resonate in this movie for me yeah. either because they have more implications or just like personal emotional implications uh-huh. so this one of the latter and it is certainly a scene in which uh, Tommy Lee Jones's character Kay is contemplating the decision he made to devote his life to the service right yeah. and it's he's spying on his ex flame you know the woman that he loved the woman oh, that yeah. he like. Uh, abandoned in order to pursue this higher calling Mm -hmm. right and uh, of course jay sneaks up on him he sees k seeing her and k quickly turns off the computer jay puts two and two together right Mm -hmm. and jay says oh well you know it's better to have loved and lost right and k turns around just quickly says try it yeah
3: yeah and i just feel like Emotional. It's emotional. <laughs> no, for sure. I think even as a nine-year-old, that kind of hit me. Like, I got the, I got the gravity of that one. Like, I remember that being, like, really effective for me when I was nine. <laughs> I was like, yeah, man. <laughs> Juan, it was a goddamn pleasure. Thank uh, you for talking with us.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, big, biggest fan. <laughs> I, just said, I just said biggest fan. <laughs> 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 We're
1: going to ob- put you into custody.
4: <laughs> Obviously, I'm suited for the radio. I'm ready for the big time.
3: <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being here, Juan. Happy birthday, Patrick. <laughs> we'll see you guys next yes. time.
4: What will follow is a series of simple tests for motor skills, concentration, stamina. I see we have a question.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe you already answered this, but uh, why exactly are we here? Son. Second Lieutenant Jake Jensen, West Point, graduate with honors. We're here because you're looking for the best of the best of the best, sir.
0: What's so funny, Edwards?
2: Your boy Captain America over here. The best of the best of the best, sir. With honors. He's just really excited and he has no clue why we're here. That's just, that's very funny to me. Y'all ain't laughing, though.
3: And there you have it, our first guest ever. That was the voice of Juan Rubacaba. I'm your host, Sierra Gonzalez. Your the co-host today was Patrick Kelly, as always. Thanks for listening to our embarrassing stories. Stories we want to neuralize out of our own brains. That was fun. You can follow us on Instagram. Just type in at film That's F-I-L-M-S-L-O-B-B-E-R-Y. You can find us there. Please subscribe and rate us on whatever show page you listen to. Feel free to share comments. We'd love to hear from you. We're not sure what's going to be on next week. Uh, We're trying to get some more guests in here. We'll see how that works out. The music you're listening to now is recorded by Randy Flores. And we're happy to have it. Hope you enjoy it. We'll see you next time.